0: You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll continue in our new series with Part 12, A New Way of Living, Forgiving. Bishop Moody will break down biblical examples of forgiveness and delve into its importance in the lives of Christians. Amen. Well, God bless you and good morning to each and every one of you. Good morning to all of our online family Uh, those of you that are joining us from a variety of places around the world we are so honored to have you it is a joy uh, for us to be back in our Derby campus this is our uh, third week and we uh, as you can tell are still working out the glitches of not having been in the building for almost two years but it's still uh, great for us to just be together amen and so praise God for all of you that are here with us live in the building, those of you that are watching us live on, online, whether you are on our online campus, Facebook, YouTube, or a number uh, of other channels, we are so honored to have you. As you can tell, we are focusing this morning on the connectivity between thanksgiving and forgiving, because we recognize that one of the most important keys to being thankful is the ability to forgive. And so we want to talk for a few moments this morning, as we've been talking for several weeks, Pastor Aaron mentioned it a moment ago, about um, the new stuff that God is doing. And we started last week talking about a new way to live. We've been talking for several weeks about new this, new that. And we started last week talking about a new way to to live, and that is forgiving. And so I want you to join me in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1. And then we're going to go over to, uh, kind of two doors down, we're going to go to the book of Colossians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 4. This is the Apostle Paul, um, yet again, sharing more of these one another's, and he's talking to the church at Ephesus, and he says, as prisoners for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We went from verses 1 through 3 and then we dropped down to verse 32 when he reinforces this notion of how we are supposed to live. When he says to live worthy of the, voc- of the vocation, one translation says, of the calling you receive. And he says that one of the ways that we're supposed to live is by forgiving each other. And then you drop down to um, Colossians chapter 3, just come over past Philippians to Colossians chapter 3, and verse 12, and the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive. Here it is again as the Lord forgave you. Now, as we continue this study, we started on last week looking at the one another's in Scripture. Um, We talked about being members of one another on last week, and on today, we want to talk about forgiving one another. I shared with you on last week that the Apostle Paul uses this phrase, one another, somewhere in excess of 40 times, and uh, when you look at the entire Bible, particularly the New Testament, Bible scholars call these commands the, the one another's of Scripture, and Most scholars believe that there's somewhere between 60 and 100 of these one another commands in the Bible. And so we started looking at them on last week, and we're going to look more at them today and even on next week. Because these commands really give us the foundation of what it means to be a disciple. And I think that's important. Even though I know that there are many of us who consider ourselves to be members, or you may be a visitor, and that may be the way you consider yourself. Those of you that are watching online, you may consider yourself a viewer and, and all of those are cool and nice titles but but god didn 't ask us to be members or viewers or or visitors he, he called us, commanded us even to be disciples and one of the things that these one another commands helps us to understand is that Um, If you really want to know what a disciple looks like, if you really want to understand what's involved in being a disciple of Christ, there are lots of people that say they're Christian, but then that changes when we start looking at, well, who then has the characteristics of a disciple? And one of the things that the Apostle Paul is teaching the church at Ephesus and the church at Colossae is that disciples forgive. That, that if we really are going to live out this mandate to be disciples, if we're going to look more and more like Jesus, then we got to know, number one, that disciples forgive. And the reason that we have to know that is because first and foremost, forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. This is why the Apostle Paul stresses this over and over and over again. In in much of his books, almost all of his books, he's going to say something about forgiveness because the Apostle Paul understands, and he understands it at a very personal level, that forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. That when we talk about the gospel, when we sing about the gospel, when we shout about the gospel, when we say, God, I thank you for the gospel, what we often miss is that forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. Often explained it this way, if you cut the gospel anywhere, it bleeds forgiveness. Because forgiveness of sins is the whole reason why Jesus came to earth, gave up his life, and rose on the third day. And this is what we recognize when we go back to the beginning. We recognize that in the beginning, God created uh, heaven and earth. He created a perfect environment. He created Adam and Eve, and he put Adam and Eve in this perfect environment. And the whole thing about this perfect environment was that God only had one rule. And the one rule for Adam and Eve was trust me in everything. Trust me. That's all you gotta do. Trust me. Nothing more, nothing less, and everything will be perfect. That's a part of the reason why God even says you can eat from any tree in the garden except the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because that that ban from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a trust test. It was, can you trust me with this? God had one rule, trust me. But many of us know the story. They blew it. Adam and Eve were tempted by the enemy. They, They ate from that tree. They disobeyed God. They didn't trust him in that. And sin entered the world. And as sin entered the world, it meant that sin became... My inheritance and your inheritance. This is why the Bible says that we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Because what Adam and Eve did, they they sinned and they passed that debt on to every human being. But even in that, God refused to give up on mankind. In his rich compassion. in, in In his willingness to never give up on us. God sent his son Jesus to pay our debt. God created a perfect environment in the beginning and sin messed it up. So the only way to restore us to perfection is that perfection was needed. And so Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and then ultimately gave his life on a cross so that you and I could be reunited and restored to God's ideal. He paid the price that only he could pay. He shed his blood so that you and I would not have to. Gave up his life so that we would not have to. But the whole reason that Jesus came was for the forgiveness of sins. And after even his resurrection, in Luke 24, as Jesus is teaching the disciples about sin, The whole plan of God and even what their role is going to be in helping to spread the gospel. He says it in Luke 24 and verse 46. It says this, it says, He told them, this is what was written, that the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now, let me pause here to point out That he doesn't stop with the story of just his death and his resurrection. That's where we shout. But we shout and miss what he says that he was going to die and be resurrected. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. And he says to the disciples, y'all are witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you what my father promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power on high. He says, you guys have seen it. You've witnessed it. You've experienced this. And so I need you to then go and share this gospel with everybody else. This is why, when Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, he stands up and the Bible says he preaches, and, and people are, are cut to their heart, and thousands are added. To the church on that day. And after his sermon. The crowd realizes. That it's their sin. That is separating them from God. And they ask the question. They say okay. What are we supposed to do about this? And then Peter replies in Acts chapter 2. And he says. Repent. Be baptized every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift. Of the Holy Spirit. I don't think you got it yet, so let me show you a little bit more. Later on in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 5, the disciples are arrested because the Pharisees are jealous. They put them in prison, but an angel of the Lord opens the doors in the middle of the night and tells them to go stand in the temple courts and preach the gospel. The gospel. Say, preach the gospel. So then Peter, Acts 5 and verse 30, he stands. To preach the gospel, what does he say? The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and what? Forgive their sins. There it is again. Later on, when the gospel begins to spread, to the Gentiles, and back then, uh, Jews didn't fellowship and hang out with Gentiles, and so when, when, when God tells Peter to go to Cornelius' house, Peter doesn't want to go, and God has to appear to Peter in a vision, and sends him to Cornelius' house, and he preaches the gospel at Cornelius' house. And it says in Acts 10 and verse 42, it says, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives what? Forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished. That the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. This is not just Peter and Jesus. You see it all through the Gospels. When Paul and Barnabas one day are on a missionary trip. And Paul is preaching. and, And he's preaching. And he's preaching the Gospel. In Acts 13 and verse 38. He says it again. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus is what? The forgiveness of sins. It's proclaiming to you through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification that you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. And Paul is very, very connected to this in a personal way because Paul was a persecutor of, of, of believers for quite some time until the Damascus Road. And, and, and in that conversion experience, God sends Paul um, to begin to preach the gospel. to to so many people. This is why he ended up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. And a lot of individuals don't understand it. One encounter Paul has is when he's standing before King Agrippa, and he's literally giving him his testimony about what happened to him on the Damascus Road. And in Acts 26 and verse 15, Paul is telling the story. He's telling the story about how he was on his way to persecute more believers Then this blinding light threw him off of his high horse, blinded him, and then in verse 15, he's telling the story, and he says, and then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand up on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles and I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Why? So that they may receive what? Forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by me. This is Paul's message. This is Jesus' message. This is the gospel. Over and over and over again, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 1, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. When Paul is preaching to the the Colossian church, Colossians 1, we read it later on in Colossians, but he says it again in chapter 1 and verse 13, for he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption what is redemption about the forgiveness of sins you see i wanted to walk you through all of that scripture because any way that you slice this book any way that you cut open the gospel the heart of the gospel y'all is forgiveness you can't communicate the good news of the gospel without communicating the radical price that Jesus paid to forgive us. Flawed us, mistake-ridden us. But this is why when you and I forgive people, that's when we look the most like Jesus. That's so good, I'm going to say it to you again. Forgiveness is such a big deal. It's the heart of the gospel. This is why we look the most like Jesus when we forgive people. But this is also why God takes unforgiveness so seriously. Because when you won't forgive someone, you literally undermine the whole reason why Jesus came in the first place. And this is honestly the struggle that the world is having with the church. I talked on last Sunday about how the church is supposed to be the visible manifestation of Christ in the earth. Well, guess what? As we are the body of Christ, as we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, you know what people want to know? They, they want to know, they want to know, can we forgive them the way Christ forgave us? In, in John 13 and verse 34, Jesus says, I didn't put it in your notes, but, but it, it bears uh, taking a look at it. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love others as I have loved you. He says, and by this the world will know that you are my disciples. He says, the mark of demarcation, the real delineating mark that you are my disciples is how you love one another. But you got to love each other the way I loved you. How did he love us? He forgave us. Why did Jesus give the church this command? Because people in the world are looking for freedom. They're looking for answers to the problems of life. They're looking for hope and encouragement. And the question is, when they encounter church folk, will they get that message? Or will they get a message of condemnation and judgment? Teach, Bishop, I'm doing it. See, people hear us singing and shouting and dancing about the Prince of Peace. But what they want to know is, is that same peace residing in your heart to the degree that you will forgive other people? See, the real question that the world is is asking is, are are we high on our own supply? I mean, are we smoking what we're selling? Because we're selling a Christ who forgave all, but then the world is saying, but y'all can't forgive each other. The whole point of the gospel is that the blood of Jesus was shed to cover all of our sins. Past, present, and future. Watch this. And the sins that people will commit against us. I've been kind of glued to the TV this week watching the, 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 the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, and I got all kinds of drama in my heart and, and frustration. Y'all pray for me, pray for me. I'm still kind of processing through it. Um, I'm angry, I'm hurt. Um, but, but, but the one thing that Holy Spirit did is I was just frustrated by, by the trial is as I was trying to pray about this message and just deal with all the stuff going on in my heart. Um, and, you know, just like, oh, man. And then the Lord said, well, hold on now, son. Hold on. He said, you still have to forgive. And it was hard. It was real hard. And then the Lord reminded me of, uh, of another situation that I'll never forget that rocked me. And it was in uh, 2006, there was a man by the name of Charles Roberts. Charles Carl Roberts, I think, was his real name. But in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on March 2nd of 2006, um, in the morning, he pulled up to a Christian school and he took a class hostage. He took a class hostage and then, you know, the negotiators came on the scene and ultimately he released the majority of the class, but he kept 10 girls that he then killed, and he turned the gun on himself and killed himself. And the age of these girls were between the age of 6 to 13 years old. And very much like the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, I I mean, it just sent shockwaves all around the country. And people were just tripping out thinking, I can't believe that somebody would do something so mean and so heinous and so brutal. And and, and while people were trying to grapple with it, almost like shortly thereafter, we got news of what happened. The parents of the kids that were killed were on national news expressing, watch this, forgiveness for this man and his family. And and to take it even further, not only did the parents of those kids who were killed express forgiveness for this man and his family, but then their church set up a charitable kind of trust or fund for the killer's family. And then 30 of them attended his funeral. And the man's wife, the, the killer's wife was so moved by their forgiveness that she wrote a letter and said that it was their love and it was their forgiveness that helped them to heal. Now, a whole bunch of folk were criticizing those parents. Why would you do that and why would you forgive him and he doesn't deserve that forgiveness and he deserves to go to hell and he deserves this and y'all are crazy. What's wrong with you guys? And the Lord reminded me of that because when I saw that story all of those years ago, Holy Spirit said, but that's the gospel. I know it probably seems crazy to other people but that's the gospel. And even this week, Holy Spirit reminded me of that as I was agonizing over this recent trial. He said, but hold on, son, you have an obligation to demonstrate the gospel because we have to do something with John 3, 16. That that just cannot be the verse that you hold up at the Alabama game. You got to do something with that beyond quote it, you know, when when you just got to give a verse around the Thanksgiving table. For God so loved the world That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, that's the really nice, clean version. I grew up with the old school version. That whosoever believeth on him shall not perish. You got to do something with that whosoever. Because that whosoever not only includes us, but it includes people that we don't like. It includes people that get on our nerves. It includes people that hurt us. It includes people that sin against us. And we have the responsibility to forgive them. That's the gospel, y'all. But then the second and final thing that makes this so critical, this notion of why we have to forgive one another, is because, lastly, forgiveness is the issue that arguably is more important to God than many other issues. Forgiveness is an issue that arguably, and I'm going to tell you why I say arguably in just a moment, is arguably more important to God than many other issues. And by arguably, I'm talking about what we can see uh, from the evidence of Scripture. And let me show it to you. Meet me in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. Meet me in Matthew 18 and verse 21 because Jesus unpacks this for us. It says, then Peter came to him and said, Lord how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Peter's like, I, I do appreciate Peter, though, because Peter's real. Peter ain't going to be fake. He's not going to put on a facade. He's going like, to, like, Jesus, how many times do I have to put up with this dude? Like, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven times? Jesus says to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. And then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his servants. Fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him. I do wonder, parenthetically, if that's where that phrase comes from. If I'm going to lay hands on you, you know what I mean? Because it says, he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. And then his master, after he had called him, said, You wicked servant. Some translations say, You wicked, lazy servant. I forgave you all of the debt because you begged me, Should you not have also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I have pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. But here's the kick. Here, here's the drop the mic phrase. Jesus then concludes this by saying, so my heavenly father also will do to each of you. If from your heart you do not forgive your brother his trespasses. This, this, is, this, is, this is a hard one. Peter. Real Peter begins by asking Jesus, Lord, how many times? I mean, come on. How many times? And Peter thinks that he's going to be deep because he knows that the Pharisees are only mandated by Mosaic law. To forgive a person twice. But then if they're really being generous, they'll forgive a person three times. So Peter's thinking, well, I'ma go, I'ma go twice the amount of the Pharisees plus one. That's how he gets to seven. Plus he knows seven is the number of completion. So he's trying to be real spiritual and real deep. And he's like, Hey, Jesus, right? Seven times. That's it, right? And Jesus says, No, no. Seventy times seven. That's four hundred and ninety times. Translation. You gotta keep forgiving. There should be no limit on how many times you forgive and for those of you that are really technical that actually breaks down to like once every three minutes that's about the pace you need sometimes depending on where you're going (laughs) once every three minutes but then Jesus puts a fine point on this and he teaches a parable to drive home this point. He says the kingdom of heaven is like, and whenever you see that phrase in the gospels, uh, you got to perk up and pay attention because he's showing us how God operates. He says the kingdom of heaven is like, and he tells this parable, and what we must know is that the wealthy ruler, the master, is God in this parable. And, And the servants, that's us. And so Jesus says that this wealthy ruler decided to settle accounts with with the man that owes him money, and one one guy in particular, this guy who's the focus of the story, owed him 10,000 talents. Now that is an astronomical amount of money. And the servant did not have the ability to repay the debt. So he ordered a man to be thrown in jail with his family, Until the debt was paid, the man falls down on the ground and says, please give me time and I will pay it back. Now, here's what's interesting. The guy doesn't ask for forgiveness. He just says, give me time. And I love it. It says that the the ruler's heart, the master's heart was moved with compassion and he forgave the debt. I mean, just like that, he just absorbed what that guy owed him. He just wiped it clean. Now, you're thinking, that's not really a big deal. Well, let me work through the currency exchange for you because a talent was the equivalent of 180 months of wages or 15 years of wages. This guy owed 10,000 talents, which meant 150 years worth of wages, 150 years of pay. So when he says, please give me time, there's not that much time, bro. You don't have that kind of time. There is absolutely no way that you're going to pay back 150,000 years worth of pay. And if we look at our current rate of conversion in today's uh, economy, that would equate to about $7.5 billion. Billion with a B. This guy owed $7.5 billion billion dollars billion with a b and the master the bible says was moved with compassion and just forgives the debt says don't worry about it go home i'm gonna wipe the slate clean now you and i would think that after a guy was forgiven 7.5 billion dollars with a b that he would get up off the ground and be skipping You know, kind of like the dude from A Wonderful Life. God bless you, Mary. God, I mean, you would think that this guy would run around town hugging everybody, kissing everybody. It's a wonderful life. I can't believe it. God is good. But he doesn't do that. The Bible says he picks himself up, dusts himself off, and then sees somebody else who owes him money and then lays hands (laughs) on the dude, starts choking him. So incredibly, the forgiven man went and found somebody who owed him money and wouldn't forgive him. But now here's the thing, the guy who owed him money, uh, owed him a hundred denarii and a hundred denarii, was uh, one denarii was equal to one day's pay. And so a hundred denarii, uh, is really about a hundred days of wages, roughly about $17,000, give or take. So he was owed 17000 He owed $7.5 billion. His debt that was forgiven was $7.5 billion, And he's putting hands on a dude that owes him 17000 And that dude, watch this, says the exact same thing. Please give me time and I'll repay. Now, yeah, he, he could repay that debt. It may take him a little bit of time but he could repay 17,000 but the dude who owes 7.5 billion there's no way he could repay that so incredibly the guy who had 7.5 billion dollars removed debt wiped clean won't forgive the guy who owes him 17,000 this guy 7.5 billion owed an insurmountable debt that would never be paid, but then he won't forgive the guy who has manageable debt. Who? this is the point that Jesus is making. He's, He's making this point that you and I have been forgiven an insurmountable amount. That we have been forgiven so much, we can't even quantify it. 7.5 billion still doesn't even come close to what we have been forgiven. And since we have been forgiven so much, we ought to turn around and offer that same forgiveness to others. Particularly when what they owe us compared to what we owe God is minuscule. <laughs> Woo, teach Bishop, I am. And, and the interesting thing is the text says that there were other servants watching this guy put hands on the other dude. It's a picture of the world looking at us and how we treat one another. And it says that when the other servants saw how he handled this guy who just owed him 17000 they went back and reported to the wealthy ruler and the master, and he was angry. He summoned the man and called him, you wicked slave, you wicked servant, you lazy servant. One translation says, and then here's the, the heart part of this, the heart part of this. This is the part that cuts me to my core. It says that he turned him over to be tortured. And the torture was to continue until the debt was paid. Well, here we go again. There's no way he could pay the debt. 150,000 years of wages, there's no way he could repay the debt, which means that he's going to be tortured the rest of his life. And here's the drop the mic part, because Jesus comes back and says, and after finishing this whole parable, he makes this drop the mic shocking statement. In verse 35, he says, So shall my heavenly father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother From your heart. Oh. Jesus is saying, y'all, God is so serious about people forgiving each other that He will allow us to be tormented and tortured when we refuse to forgive. Now, let me clarify and tell you what Jesus is not saying. He is not saying. That God the Father tortures us. Because remember the master, the wealthy ruler, he didn't torture this guy. It says that he turned him over to the torturers. He just took his hands off of them and allowed the torturers to torture this guy for the rest of his life. Jesus is not saying that God will torture us. He's saying that God will simply withhold his protection. That, that, that in other words, God will simply remove his covering. It's kind of like when, when uh, the, the devil and God are having a conversation about Job. And Satan says, I can't get to him because you got this hedge. But if you will remove the hedge, I can put some hands on him. He literally means that God will just simply remove the hedge. God will simply withhold his hands from us, and and allow the enemy, give the enemy and his henchmen the legal authority to do the torture and the tormenting. And this is the way that so many people are living their lives. Tormented people tear up marriages. Tormented people tear up organizations. Tormented people tear up churches. Tormented people tear up relationships. And they're tormented, they're tortured because they're holding on to stuff that other people did to them or things that happened to them, and they're tortured and tormented because they have never forgiven. And I've seen it over and over and over again. And we can dress it up and put all kinds of spiritual language on it, but when you remove all of that, what God sees is that at the core, you're being tortured because you haven't forgiven. And after everything that God has done to forgive you, He's saying, how dare you, you, toe up from the flow of you, how dare you not forgive them? And you must understand that this torment, this torture is not God's will for your life. It's not. God wants you to be free. Galatians 5 and 1 says, whom the sons, God, it is, it is, well, let me get it right. It is for Freedom. That Christ set us free. Thank you, Holy Spirit. That's Galatians 5 and 1. That the whole point of this is that God wants us to be free. But I've learned, and Jesus points this out, that sometimes what God will do is in him taking his hands off of us and allowing the torture and the torment to happen, it is a reminder or a sign that something is wrong that we have to address. God says, as long as you won't forgive, that torture, that torment, emotionally, physically, that, that torture, that, that mental torture, that mental anguish is just going to be a reminder that something's wrong. And that you've got to let go of all of those things. You've got to learn to forgive. See, one of the reasons that unforgiveness is so offensive to God One of the reasons that this is such a big problem for God is because God is satisfied with the sacrifice of Jesus for our forgiveness. When God looks at us, he doesn't see us in our mess. He sees that we are covered by the blood. He sees that we are forgiven. In the book of Exodus, when there was the exodus, when the death angel came through the city... The reason the death angel didn't go to the houses where the blood was on the doorpost is because the blood on the doorpost was a sign that death had already visited that house, that somebody had already died. And when God looks at us covered in the blood of Jesus, that's what he sees, that my son died for you. But the reason that unforgiveness is such a problem for God is because Although he forgave you, when you won't forgive other people, you're saying that Jesus' sacrifice may satisfy God, but it doesn't satisfy you. The Father is satisfied with Jesus' payment for sin, and he believes that we ought to be satisfied as well. Because Jesus died not only for our stuff, but for other folks' stuff. So Jesus is saying this in Matthew 18. And this is why I say, arguably, God takes this more serious than any other sin. Uh, Arguably, because the proof is there. Because God says, I love you so much, but if you don't forgive, I'm going to remove my protection. Just let you be tortured as a sign to remind you that you gotta forgive. Why? Because when we won't forgive, we're devaluing God's forgiveness of us. When we won't forgive, It literally reveals that our heart is not grateful, that our heart's not thankful. Uh, We have glitches with the video, but but I'm thankful for my bride. I'm thankful for my family. I'm, I'm thankful for a lot of things as we move into Thanksgiving. But what I'm most thankful for is that he forgave me. That, that, he, that he forgave me. See, you can't say this if you're not in touch with how wretched and toe-up you are. I am thankful that he loved me in spite of me. God is saying that when we won't forgive others, we're saying that that sacrifice is not enough. Would you hand me that water bottle right there? I, I, I left it on my seat. I'm going to close with this illustration. And this illustration, thank you, my brother, was done by... A a professor a psychologist many many years ago Um, and I want to do it for you because I think it's one of the greatest ways that I can illustrate why we have to forgive I could ask you this is just a random water bottle I tried to take the labels off so that we don't get into trouble with online stuff but um, I could ask you how much this water bottle weighs and you could guess and say maybe eight ounces or whatever But the point is, the weight of the water doesn't really matter. If I hold this water bottle for a couple of minutes, it's not a problem. But if I hold this water bottle 30 or so minutes, my arm is going to start hurting. If I hold this water bottle for several hours, my, my hand or my arm may start to get numb and start tingling. If I hold this water bottle like this all day, And I may even risk um, having temporary paralysis in my arm. See, the weight of the water bottle didn't change. What determines the extent of pain is how long I hold on to it. (laughs) What people have done to you in the grand scheme of things, And when it relates to the plan God has for your life, it's really a light thing. They can't thwart God's plan for your life. They can't mess up God's purpose for your life. It's it's really a light thing. But how long you hold on to it? And some of you have been holding on to stuff for far too long. You know, the easiest way for me to get this pain out of my arm Let it go. To just let it go. But unforgiveness is just like holding on to this water bottle for far too long and you're wondering why there's aching and pain and numbness and paralysis. Some of you are paralyzed. You're paralyzed maybe emotionally, relationally. You got aches and pains. You don't trust people. You 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 hurt people everywhere you go. You leave a trail of hurt bodies and dead bodies behind you because you have yet to forgive because you keep holding on. And I came here to tell you today, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Bishop Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.